Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Giant Mess. Uh, I'm pretty sure four or five years from now, I'm going to look back at this first episode and just say, what the fuck was I thinking? It's going to be a shit show. Got a lot to talk about. Uh, this is a weekly show, and I'm thinking maybe it shouldn't be weekly because there's just way too much shit going on during the week, over the course of a week, for me to talk about it all. So I'm going to try and condense it down to an hour. If you got an hour, great. If not, see you on the flip, man. Last week was 4th of July week. Okay. We had plans to go down to see my sister in South Carolina. She just bought a house with her husband. A lot of acreage, great word, and a pool. Definitely was looking forward to that, and then I got canned. Um, I don't know, fired, let go, terminated, whatever you want to call it. It was a temporary position. It was supposed to be temp to hire. No hire. It's just the way it goes sometimes. So that kind of put the kibosh on those plans. So we ended up going to Van Sant Park, something like that. Not really sure how to pronounce it. My wife found it, and of course, the pictures online looked great. Looked amazing. We were, I mean, we were primarily interested in the Splash Park. That's what got us all hot and bothered. And you look at the pics online, you're thinking, this Splash Park might be a multi-day affair. There's that much of it to get around. And uh, we get there, and the pictures were, were misleading. You know, we got catfished, essentially, by these pictures. You know, they looked, it looked like a humongous, gigando park. And we get there, and it's, it's small. It's compact. And there's a lot of people there, okay? Not everyone's going away for the weekend, all right? And this is a very affordable park. You're not paying, like, $100 per person with a Coca-Cola tab discount, okay? <clears throat> You're getting there. And it's basically free, you know, and to pay for tickets here and there. But we've never been there before. So, you know, first impression is we're a little overwhelmed, you know, because it's bigger. The park itself is huge. The Splash Park, small. Park, huge. There's like six parking lots. And so I do a lap. You know how you get to the bar and you do a lap, survey the scene? I did a lap with the car just to see what we're dealing with here. And there were a lot of people. I wouldn't say overcrowded, but there was a crowd. And, of course, we were prepared for the baby, diaper bag, food for the baby, formula for the baby. Got plenty of shit for the baby. Didn't bring anything else, anything for us, that's for sure. No food, no water, nothing, no sustenance. So, of course, we find a parking space, we get out, and everyone is barbecuing. So I got that kind of aroma floating around my nostrils. And it goes straight to my nostril, straight to my brain, and straight to my gut. I think, wow, major mistake, rookie mistake. But we powered through it. We went to the splash park, and I got to say this. Though it was small, there were a lot of kids there running around. Hard for the baby to navigate. The baby's like 10 months old. She just learned how to walk. So I'm not going to put her on her feet and be like, have at it, hoss, you know? Like, that's tough on the baby. Like, you got to ease into it. So I carried it around. They're, the splash park is just like misters. Things of that nature. Just, you know, nice little light shower. But there are kids everywhere, you know? And big kids, too. And this is what I didn't like. The taller kids, they get these plastic bottles, and they go up to, like, the spray nozzle thingy, the mister, and they're holding the bottle up to the mister and hogging all the water. What are you doing with that water, kid? You drinking it? You, you just going to pour it on your head? 
Like, that's not the place to do it. These are misters. People want to get sprayed. Don't hog the mist. So, you know, a little put off by that. But other than that, you know, we took a couple laps around the, the misters and that was that. We thought it would be like a two, three hour thing. It turned out to be 10, 15 minutes. From there, we go to the carousel. Now, carousels kind of creep me out. Okay. Maybe I've seen one too many horror movies, but carousels are creepy. They're playing that freaking music that we always hear during a creepy scene with like an evil clown or some kind of haunted amusement park. There's that music. You know, something is off. Something bad's going to happen. And that music's playing. Well, we get to the carousel. My wife goes to, go to buy the tickets and there's this old Italian guy. And he sees me and I got to back up a step or two here. I got to give you the demographics on this park. Okay. We're like one of the only white people there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm all for ethnically diverse uh, locations. But we are the only white people, if you, unless you count the Hasidic Jews. Now, the Hasidic Jews, not to get off on a side note, but like it's July 4th. It's like 90 plus degrees, and they're just head to toe clothing. And I get it. It's part of their belief system. I'm not knocking their beliefs. You can believe whatever you want. I believe you can believe what you believe. I'm all down with that. But wow. Don't know if I could be a Hasidic Jew in July or August. I mean, head to toe, dude. Yikes. Although I am overweight, so it might be a great way to lose weight. Just sweat it out. You know, I mean, they look great. Uh, the, the Hasidic Jews that we saw were in shape, trim. But I don't know if I could put myself through that. I don't know how they do it, honestly. Anyway, there's an old Italian guy, and he approaches me with my baby, and he's speaking kind of like mixed Italian and English. Now, I don't know if he thought I was Italian. You know, my last name's Lynch. I'm, I don't really look that Italian. I don't know if it's the jawline, the nostrils, the brow. I don't know. I think I give more of an Irish vibe um, than an Italian. I'm a quarter Italian. Maybe he smelled that 25% of me. I don't know. But he saunters, saunters over. And he's like get, kind of giving us compliments and doting all, all over us. And, but it's in Italian and mixed in English. And I'm just like, you know, thank you. Thank you. Grazie, grazie, prego. And then he says, you have a you know, beautiful son, beautiful son. And just turns and walks away. And uh, the whole time I'm like looking around for my wife, like how long does it take to be, buy friggin' tickets? We're not at friggin' Disney World here. We're at this Van Sant Park in the middle of nowhere. There's like no one in line. There's no one on the carousel. <laughs> Very awkward an encounter, you know, because I don't know how to take a compliment, much less I don't know how to take compliments about my daughter, especially when the daughter's being called a son. I mean, she was wearing blue bloomers, but like, is that really what's going on here? You see a color and you just automatically associate gender, not to get into like gender issues or anything like that, but come on, you know, I think we had her hair up like uh, Bam Bam or whoever it is from the Flintstones, like make an effort ask me first but uh, does that old italian guy just like go up to everyone at the park and do that is that like his thing there are a lot of kids at that park and a lot of parents i didn't see him go up to anyone else very peculiar makes me think he's a racist i don't know so brie goes on the the carousel and she is stone-faced she's got resting bitch face just like me she inherited it 
I don't know why, you know, it's just kind of like took her a while to figure out, okay, this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be a ride. I need to enjoy this. It took a minute from the carousel. We go to the zoo. The zoo. And I'm thinking like, Oh, I'm going to get some facial expressions out of this bitch, you know? Cause we have the around the farm book, you know, turn the page, the horse jumps over the fence. You press the button and it makes the sound of a horse. Nay. Horrible impression. The cow eats grains. Okay. So I'm thinking we're going to see those animals. She's going to see them in real life and be like, okay, now we're talking. Thank you. This is great. Stone faced, just almost nothing. And I got to say like, that's, that's like what happens at these places is you have, it's just like an echo chamber. Like you have all the parents calling out the name of the animal and then making the sound of the animal. It's just like the cow goes moo. It's a cow and it goes moo and the cow goes moo and the cow goes moo and the cow goes moo. It's like, I guess now I got to chime in. Yeah, it's a cow and it goes moo. But there were also some animals she'd never seen before. And it was, I just don't think any of it registered really. I think she was, it was just way too overwhelming for her. You know, I mean like as an adult, try to put yourself in that situation. It's like, you, someone shows you the big pictures and explains stuff, but then like you're dropped in the middle of this environment where you had no idea that you were going to be dropped there. And you're seeing all these things that you've never seen before. It can put you on edge a little bit. It can be a little shell shocked. And that's what happened with her. So I, I don't know. The zoo seemed like it was a, a decent investment. They had this one cage, like a bird cage where you had to pay a dollar to get in. I'm like, I've already paid for the tickets to get into the zoo, I got to pay another admission to get into this bird cage to see birds. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Didn't go in there. So the zoo, I think it was a success, not a bust, but not a boom either. Then we went on the train the train. It's nice and slow. goes around. We get to see more animals that we didn't get to see before. Thinking not bad, not bad at all. We did well. We go back to the carousel. Because we got two tickets. First time my wife goes on the ride with my baby. Second time I go on the baby. I'll go on the ride with the baby. And I'm already a little freaked out about this. Because I'm like, she's 10 months old. She doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. What the hell is she doing on like a carousel, carousel ride? So way too young to be doing this. So I strap her in. I, I pull tight. And it's like not tight enough. Anything goes wrong. She jerks the wrong way. She's done for. And of course this guy. Grown ass man. Adult. Not a teen. Comes up and sits. I mean, this ride is empty. There's no one around. And this guy comes up and sits on the freaking thing right next to me. Like, I'm standing next to her on the thing. Might have been a tiger, might have been a camel. And then she, he comes up and, and he has to sit on the cheetah or the leopard or wherever the hell it is. So now it's like, I got to watch my ass because I'm a thick dude. And I got this guy going up and down behind me. I'm not claustrophobic, but I might be. I don't know. Not happy about that, but she seemed to enjoy it. Eventually, I think she got the hang of it, and uh, we wiped her out, good and clean. She was out when we got in the car. Went to a place called Fireplace. I don't know if you've ever uh, had the joy, but uh, it's kind of like um, Steak and Shake or it's like a burger place. Not a not a very uh, widely known fast food chain or anything like that, but they have good milkshakes. Milkshakes, they're conspicuously similar to McDonald's. 
I don't know. I don't want to rat or snitch on anyone, but someone needs to look into that because it's awfully similar to McDonald's. I had the bison burger. And the thing about that is we just saw a bison. I just saw a bison. I saw a plaque about how the bison were almost extinct and all these people came together to save the bison and now I'm eating bison. Felt a little bit bad about it, but it's like, hey, you put in my you put in my noggin. I got a craving for it now. Of course, I love eating. The Nathan's hot dog eating contest was July 4th, as it is always uh, every year. I watched the 30 for 30 on ESPN about about it. And, you know, Kobayashi versus uh, Joey Jaws Chestnut. And it's I wasn't really paying attention. I was kind of doing work while I was on the TV. But all I know is every time I looked up, I had to look up because Kobayashi doesn't speak English. He only speaks Japanese, which I think is a language. Anyway. So it's like you don't understand what they're saying, so you got to look up to look at the subtitles or the captions, and every time I look up, he's crying. I'm like, Jesus Christ, pull yourself together, Kobayashi. But yeah, it's uh, something about, I don't know. I was in and out. I was not paying attention. Something about his mom. I, she might have been dying. She might have had cancer. And so his actual competitive eating inspired her to eat while she was going through chemo. Oh, that is some serious stuff. <laughs> And it's insane when you, you know, you take it like jokingly, uh, competitive eating, blah, blah, blah. But these guys make cash. Chestnut was saying he's making, he makes like six figures easy. And like before, uh, you know, before Chestnut came along and started dominating, like Kobayashi was the guy and he was typically beating Jaws on a regular basis. But yeah, I, I, I advise you to, to watch it. I think it's great. And, and uh, of course, we can't have good, nice things anymore. Can't have fun anymore. Peter King from, uh, I guess, Sports Illustrated, Monday Morning Quarterback, he weighed in and said that the, the contest is a disgrace or something, that there are starving children in Africa, and it's just like, come on, dude. You know, I I found out that Nathan's donates a portion to charity or something like that, but you just can't have fun anymore, man. And it's like, I, I immediately tweeted, and I was like, Somebody needs to find a picture of Peter King, like, pigging out ASAP, because it definitely has happened. I mean, the guy's, he's got a little extra, he's carrying around a little extra wheat. So it's like, do you go back for the second burger and the second dog or whatever? Just let it be. This bottle cap challenge. Before I get into that, you want to talk about eating. I am, my photo is on the wall of two different surf tacos. If you're not familiar with surf tacos, they're amazing okay it's mexican seafood fusion it's amazing it's coastal cuisine i believe they call it and they have a challenge and i love a good challenge the tsunami burrito it's two of their smothered burritos connected together to form one large burrito i want to say it's like two to three feet long and if you can finish this monstrosity in under 15 minutes i believe you get your photo and it goes up on the wall now I don't know how strict they are about these rules because I see some of the photos on that wall and there are like fucking seven-year-olds up on there and it's like, come on, dude. No one's cheating here? No help from the parents? Well, I did it the right way. No PEDs, no steroids, no help from anyone. No outside interference. I'm on the wall in Manisquan. I'm on the wall in Belmore. You can go there, check it out. I'm a lot leaner back then. I don't know if I could do it now, but... Top two accomplishments all time. Just saying. 
I'm not a winner. I don't win a lot. I tend to lose most of the time. My name means passionate champion. I haven't won shit. I guess that's a win. Those two wins. Other than that, I don't have much to speak of. Of course, the bottle cap challenge uh, swept the internet. It's great. I mean, whatever. I'm always amazed by these type of things that go viral. Uh, I was amazed by Bieber. Saw Justin Bieber do it, and I was like, I knew he's, he looks like he's in shape, but like maybe he's just like really skinny. You know, he's shredded, but like I didn't know he knew kung fu. Like what? He's roundhouse kicking a cap off of, and they make it look so freaking easy, dude. Unreal. I will not be trying that anytime soon. But the big thing, the big thing that came out, Fourth of July week, Stranger Things, season three. Oh boy. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, if you haven't watched it yet, uh, you know, take a look at where you can fast forward to in this show because I'm going to talk about it. The non-spoilery review is, uh, it was amazing. Unbelievable. I wrote a very long (laughs) blog post that no one will read about it. You know, just basically pointing out all the different uh, references and nods to the 80s. Um, My favorite moments. And, of course, fan theories about uh, the ending in season four, what's going to happen there. So the non-spoilery stuff, I I don't know. I'm I'm not going to tease you with that. Just know it's good. Now we're getting into the spoilery stuff. So if you want to, like, fast forward or whatever, that's great. Take a look in the description to see where to go to. I mean, this has been two years in the making. I think it's been like 20 months or something like that. Season two was, I want to say October 2017. So we've waited a long friggin' time for this, okay? And it was worth it, for sure. They definitely took their time, in it, and if we're getting this kind of quality, I'm totally fine with what with waiting two years. They took the best part of season two, which was uh, Dustin and Steve, they put them together again. Phenomenal. But they threw in some extra elements, some fresh elements in Robin and Erica. Now, not a big fan of Erica. I think, you know, it's great that they tried to incorporate her. She's Lucas's little sister. And she is sassy. Like, too much sass. Like, everything out of her mouth is just sassy, sassy, sass, sass. And it's just like, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Give me a little bit something different every time you open your mouth. I mean, I understand this is a little girl. I understand she's a character, but it felt, I don't want to say one dimensional, but it's just like, dude, like give me something more than you're just going to talk back and be fresh and, and like whatever all the time. Robin on the other hand. Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful addition. Her relationship with Steve, that dynamic which is, uh, I, I noted in the post, is the Sam and Diane dynamic from Cheers that we've all grown to love, that we've seen multiple times in multiple sitcoms and movies, and they crushed it. And, of course, they weren't the only couple that that was happening to. There was Joyce and Hopper. Of course, they showed Joyce watching Cheers, Sam and Diane, on Cheers with Bob, but the, Bob and her didn't have that relationship. Her and Hop got it going on and you know even when brett gelman 
his character Maury Bauman is in the back seat and he basically just like gives us a nice little quick encapsulation of what's going on, a recap, like just calling them out on their shit. Perfect. In every way. And the way that the Steve and Robin relationship paid off, even better. I mean, one of my favorite moments, my favorite sequence is when Steve and Robin have the truth serum injected to them when they're in the basement and they're tied together and the Russian general comes in and he wants answers. And I really wish truth serum was real because I would give it to everyone all the time. And the Russian general injects Steve and he says, who do you work for? He's asked this this question a million times and Steve gives him the same answer. But this time he's like, you know, I guess truth serum makes you a little drunk, a little high, whatever makes you feel good. And this time Steve's like, (laughs) scoops, scoops ahoy. And it's just like, it's so simple, but so good. They ended up sneaking into Back to the Future and they're and just like hearing his commentary on a movie that at the time, I mean, we, we know Back to the Future so well by now that it's like, it's all, you know, there's nothing new or fresh or like different about it. But like back then seeing it for the first time and like, you know, <laughs> craziness. So I highly recommend uh, Stranger Things season three. Um, I learned two words. I mean, I guess I knew one of the words before, but we, we like to watch with closed captions and subtitles and the two words that I love seeing on my screen. And it usually happened when the mind flare came on screen. The thing that looks like the thing from the thing, uh, chittering and squelching. If you haven't watched it with subtitles and Close caption, do yourself a favor and do it. Every time the mind flare comes on the screen, it makes a noise. There's chittering and there's squelching. Now, I've seen chittering before. I think I've never used it in a sentence before today. I've never heard anyone else say it. It only exists in subtitles and closed captions. Guaranteed. Squelching is like, there's no way that's a word. That's like you're cheating at Scrabble. You're cheating at words with friends. You're going to get called out squelching it sounds like squanch from rick and morty if we have any rick and morty fans out there so those are my two favorite words uh but the ending i mean if we can talk about the ending if you want i mean we'll talk about top moments uh my favorite moments we got to talk about billy a little bit um i said that billy looks a little bit like zach efron nailed it right and then my wife chimed in and said oh he kind of also looks like jared leto oh my god nailed it those two combined, deadly. She also said he kind of looks like Rob Lowe, which that's just lethal. Like, I don't know how you don't have a successful career when you look like all three of those guys. I mean, you could just like make fart noises and win an Oscar. But uh, one of my favorite moments, other than the Scoops Ahoy was Steve. I mean, Steve, holy shit. Saves the day. When they're in the parking lot... And the, the Griswold family, which, you know, Nancy, Jonathan, Will, Lucas, Max, all of them, they're get, they're in the station wagon. They're trying to start the car. Then you see Billy like, flick on the lights. He's revving the engine. He's coming for that ass. Okay. He is coming. He puts the pedal to the metal, and he is gunning it towards these people, and he's going to destroy them. There was no doubt in my mind. And out of nowhere, left field, Steve and Robin... Steve at the helm of the wheel of the Todd father. 
comes out of nowhere, side swipes, T-bones Billy, just music. So proud of Steve. And it's crazy because I, I, I like to go to IMDb and look in the trivia section. After I've seen a movie or TV show, I just like need all the information in my head at once. And so I go, after I was done watching, I, I go on uh, the trivia section of IMDb for Stranger Things. And I see that the character of Steve was meant to be a douchebag, which he was, season one, big time douchebag. But he was meant to be a bigger douchebag. And like, he was supposed to rape Nancy. And... And the actor showed up who's going to play Steve, Joe Curie. And they're like, this guy is way too lovable to be a raper. Not to make light of rape, but like we can't have this guy raping. And it's for the best because like he's, I don't know if I should throw out the word MVP, but I mean like he's, he's one of the top characters on the show by far. And he makes the show enjoyable for me and seeing him with Robin and then seeing that payoff when they're on the truth serum in the bathroom and, She's like, yeah, I was really into this chick and she was into you and seeing his reaction and just him being able to process that. It's just like his growth as a character has been like unreal. Shout out, Steve. Great hair. Can't wait to see more of him in season four. And uh, and and his like his new partnership. I wonder how like that's going to affect like I love how they kind of they knew they had to move away from him and Dustin because it's it's a little weird eh, a little weird he, Dustin is a kid although he has grown up so much they've all grown up so much in like the span of a year or two it's insane they all have like different voices now like they can't even go back and do like audio with any of them I guess I don't know how that's gonna work out puberty you know what I'm saying but the way okay so the ending there are a lot of theories on reddit i went through them all spent way too much time on the reddit fan theories um but if you need a refresher i mean when it ended i couldn't believe that was the final episode by the way i i don't know why i didn't think that was the final episode it just uh, did not hit me at all i just i was i like so hopper and Joyce are in the control room. They're about to turn the keys. Grigori, that Russian friggin' Terminator, comes, uh, pops up on the scene. He beat, he's like, gets in a fight with Hopper. They spill out of the control room down towards the machine. Hopper eventually gets the upper hand, tosses uh, Grigori into the machine. Dude explodes. And then you see the Joyce trying like she has a belt and she's tying it into one of the key and she's got the other key and she's trying to turn them, but it's like too far. And then you see Hopper just kind of like looking at her, like he's got tears in his eyes. He's like, all right, time to be the hero time to sacrifice myself. And like the Russians and the hazmat suits, they're rushing in and they're like, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. They didn't, they're like useless, but you see, so Hopper's like on this side of the machine, he's close to the gate. Right. And then there's like, they did some of the machine where there's like this electrified force field, just like bolts, just like lightning bolts, electricity in between him, like a layer in between him and like the scientists and Joyce in the control room. And the machine explodes and the scientists are toast. They are squelching. 
and there's a big flashing light. And then we cut to like, a, I don't know, three months later, like, and Joyce and Will and Eleven and Jonathan are moving and Joyce gives Eleven the, the letter and she reads the letter and like, everybody's crying. And, um, there's a mention of like, just leave your door open three inches for your old dad. Something to that effect, which he had, you know, if you'd watch the series, he is like not a huge fan of Mike and 11, just like constantly making out and being together with the closed door. He always wanted the door open at least three inches. Very important to remember. So she reads that she cries and then credits and, and um, both of us are sitting there like, what just happened? Like, this is over. There's no worry. Hopper's dead. Like, come on, this is insane. So credits roll. And then you don't see like the next episode in five second little thing at the bottom, right? And you're like, wow, it really, the season is over. I thought we had more to explore. And then we get the post credit scene and we're like, yes, Russia barracks, a jail. There's two Russian soldiers walking down the hall. The one soldier goes to knock on a door and then the other soldier stops him and is like, not the American. And they go to the next door and they pull out a, uh, I don't know, some Russian dude, throw him in a cage. A white Demogorgon comes out and just like fucks him up. And you're thinking, okay, he just said not the American. So that's gotta be Hopper. That's Hopper in that cell. I disagree. I do not think it's Hopper. Now there's a couple of theories. I'm not going to bore you with them all, but the one that I liked the most was that somehow when the machine explodes, there's that layer between Hopper and the rest of the room. Hopper somehow either protected or projected through the gate into the upside down. And now he's stuck there. The Russians want to get to 11. It's fairly obvious from this season. But they have somehow enlisted Dr. Brenner from season one, played by Matthew Modine. They've captured him. They're either forcing him to work with them or something. And so he was tasked with, after the Hawkins Lab portal like went to shit, of finding another portal. Now, why do the Russians want this portal? What the hell is their deal? What's up their ass? Well, it's the Cold War. They hate the Americans. And the theory is that they want to open the portal, let all this bad shit out in the world on American soil, unleash it on American soil, and or, you know, unleash it anywhere in the world, but ultimately blame the Americans for this happening, this awful, devastating series of events unleashing hell basically and then that way when they can blame the americans they can then justify a nuclear attack on america so they enlist dr brenner to find this other portal so the hawkins lab portal's dunzo he finds like under the starcourt mall another portal that gets fucked up so now he's in russia and he wants to find Eleven to reopen the portal. How's it going to do that? Do you remember in season two, Eleven went on that friggin' side quest? It was like a whole episode dedicated to her running away and like to Chicago or Pittsburgh. And she finds these misfits and it turns out they're the other kids that were test subjects at the Hawkins lab. 
and she like bonds with them or some bullshit. And I don't know, I forget what happens, but like you're sitting there and you're like, that was pointless or it felt pointless or when, what does this have to do with the rest of the story? It's like somewhat related and blah, blah, blah. And like, okay, she got her mojo back or maybe she's more of a badass now. And like, okay, I get it. That's going to come back full circle. Right. So Dr. Brenner knows about this, that crew and he's going to enlist them to lure Eleven out, open the gate because she needs to get to Hopper. She's going to find out that he's in there. She's going to open the gate and then they're going to unleash the Demogorgons, the Mind Flayer, all that, all the creatures down there using, uh, the misfits. And so who's the leader of the misfits, the Hawkins lab test subjects. I believe her name is Kali Prasad. Eight, I think her number is. She's the American in the cell. She's being forced to do this against her will. And you'll probably see a showdown between the test subjects and like the Hawkins clan, the group of kids at some point. And then maybe they are, they're able to turn the misfits and help. But that's just and while that, all that's going on. If you notice at the end of the season three, the military comes in full force into Hawkins helicopters out the ass tanks, whatever. And so the military personnel are now like Hawkins is under lockdown essentially. And you saw Dr. Owens, who's played by Paul Reiser. And so his goal is to get the machine working in, but to seal the gate forever. So basically you have 11 now down and the upside down trying to get Hopper who possibly might be flayed, Bobby flayed. And trying to extract him and get him out through the gate before Dr. Owens closes it, but also before that other shit gets out. And I'm in love with that theory. Very happy about that season four. And if we don't get it to 2021, so be it. You know, just make it good. Just three years is three years is pushing it. And I don't want it's becoming a trend recently. I think like Westworld did it. Game of Thrones did it. It's just like, I understand not doing it every year, but it's just like, as long as you've got some other show to fill in that gap, I guess I'm all right. And there's plenty of stuff out there. So we should be all right. Um, 30th anniversary of Seinfeld. Seinfeld threw out the first pitch at uh, the Mets game recently. And uh, I mean, like, He's throwing better than anyone on the Mets staff right now. I mean, that was like, you know, beautiful velocity, nice drop, good rotation, nice spin rate. Um, we've been binging the Sopranos, which it's tough going from Stranger Things to, to the Sopranos because, you know, Stranger Things was made for Netflix, for binge watching, Right. So they're they're going full steam ahead. They're barreling forward, barreling forward. Whereas Sopranos, you know, it's twenty years ago. It was on HBO. It was a week to week, you know, program. So it's like, you know, they kind of took their time with it. It feels slow, and it feels like most of the characters in the mafia are just caricatures. They feel like cartoons. It's just. It doesn't feel real. It, 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 I, I catch myself being like, you know, shaking my head, rolling my eyes, you know, laughing because it's just like, it's hard to take these guys seriously sometimes. It'd be completely, you know, and, you know, no disrespect. Like, don't 
come after me. Like, I get it. I'm not trying to knock your your livelihood, but it just, I don't know, maybe it picks up. We're like almost done with season two. Maybe season three, it picks up a little bit, but, but I don't know. It's tough to get through right now. We, uh, we rented escape room. I think it came out in like January or something like that, but I've always wanted to go to an escape room. I have no idea why I'm 38. Like I need to get over that obsession. Almost took Cassie to an escape room, my wife in uh, Nashville when I was going to propose to her. I wasn't going to propose to her in the escape room. Although now that I think about it, that would have been epic. I was the best man for the first time ever recently. It was a bachelor party was in San Diego and I almost took the gang to an escape room. Like a bachelor party in an escape room is just like disaster. I would give it a look. I mean, the ratings weren't great for escape room. I don't, there's no like name actors or anything like that. I think one of the guys was in love Simon, which that's a great movie. Love Simon. Um, but he was like the, the wannabe try hard, you know, trying to be hard, funny guy who was like obsessed with girls and tried to do a romantic gesture at a football game and got shut down. It's like nothing at all. Like me, nothing at all. Like me. That's a joke. Uh, of course, Back to the Future came out around that time in 85. Forrest Gump's 25th anniversary. American Pie hit the uh, theaters 20 years ago. So really quick about American Pie. I mean, American Pie is the reason why I got into screenwriting. Um, when I went to Hopkins, uh, initially, I was undeclared for like two years, but my first year I was on like the track for economics. And like the first semester, they don't give you grades or anything no letters no numbers or anything it's like pass do not pass and it's like i passed i guess and then the second semester like all right shit's real now and i went on academic probation after the second semester freshman year because i had a girlfriend my first girlfriend she was my first kiss she was my first uh i'll just say first everything keep it keep it clean um yeah, so that that's why I didn't go to class. <laughs> I didn't study. And uh, ironically enough, I actually failed intro to human memory because I forgot to drop it. That's a true story. So, but anyway, so the movie came out in July 99, but we got an advanced screening at Hopkins. We had an auditorium where they screened movies. And so in the spring of 99, I got to see American Pie, and I didn't know anything about it going into it but there was like some promo guy like throwing out condoms or socks or something and i watched it and i thought this i am jim jim is me with a little bit of shit brick mixed in a little bit of stifler mixed in like i'm a, there's a little bit of them in me and uh, their, their friends the school it all just felt very familiar i related to them i identified with them and I ended up writing a screenplay about my high school experiences. Didn't use any real names, but they were awfully close to the real names. Submitted it to a contest, didn't, didn't do shit, didn't win anything. But that's the impetus behind my foray into screenwriting. That summer, I ended up seeing it again in the theater. I was obsessed with it. I think I had like the desktop screensaver. It was like my desktop background. It was American Pie. 
I ended up working like with my dad. My dad was a doctor and I thought, well, economics wasn't really my bag. I'm not great with money anyway. So, but uh, my dad's a doctor. So I guess medicine's in my blood, you know, as if that's a real thing. It's not. So I worked at his office that summer and then came back, did pre-med. Not great at pre-med. Sucked. Girlfriend broke up with me in rather epic fashion. Did not handle it well. Very poorly. I don't handle a lot of things well, (laughs) as you'll find out. But that was extremely poor decision-making on my part. Um, Yeah, so sophomore year was pretty brutal. And then junior year comes along, and I'm like, go to my guidance counselor or whatever, advisor. I'm like, what the fuck do I do? She's like, well, what do you like? I'm like, I like movies. She's like, by the way, who doesn't like movies? Everyone likes movies. I don't think you, I mean, that's how I decided my future was just like, I like movies. And she's like, well, we have a minor called film and media studies. That's going to be a major. And the best part is that you can do all the coursework in the two years before you graduate. That's not a good sign. That's not a good major when you can do all the four years of coursework in two. Yeah. So that was my life for junior and senior year, I guess was mostly just film, film and media studies. Um, yeah. And then I went tremendously into debt that I did the math. I would have been paying off until I was 75. And if it weren't for my grandmother passing RIP, Helen, love you. And I'd still have that debt. Fuck you college. I'm sure it's great for, I mean, it was a great time. I just, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. So let's talk Mets. So the home run derby, was uh monday so today's tuesday afternoon it's probably come out on wednesday so mon the uh, all-star games tonight and the home run derby was monday and uh all the non-mets fans are such fucking crybabies about pete alonzo winning this home run derby like everyone wanted vlad to win and it's like first of all it's a home run derby i definitely got excited i was happy for my boy i love him he is like the Mets equivalent of Saquon Barkley, pretty much. Rookie who was generating a lot of buzz before he came on full-time on the, at the big league main roster and now is just meeting expectations and surpassing them. And it's, just, it's more of a reflection on how fucked up the Mets organization is that they just didn't believe. They had no clue. They were, they were like protecting this kid like he was a friggin' uh, Fabergé egg. Like, him and Jeff McNeil are the two reasons why I'm gonna keep watching and keep rooting for this team. And I tell you, I am not afraid to pull the ripcord. I have not watched August and September Mets baseball that much the past two years or many years in the past when they have been so far off contention. I watched a lot more last year because of Jeff McNeil. And when I found out that he was in, like dangled out there as part of that friggin' canoe trade, I almost, I almost turned in my Mets fan card because like you don't get, you don't give up and get rid of a guy like that for Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, who hand up like I don't, I'm not like a diehard baseball guy. I don't know Edwin Diaz from a hole in the wall. And like uh, after seeing what he's done for the Mets, I'm like, what the fuck did this guy do with the Mariners? That was so great. Still, he's like 26, 27, so it's like, I guess you got to give him due process. I don't know. But the fact that they almost gave up McNeil in that trade was 
just poor judgment. And then they doubled down and said, okay, we're not going to trade McNeil, but we are going to get Cano still. And we're going to get Jed Lowry, who I guess moved to Neptune. I have no idea where that guy is. He's apparently not even close to a rehab assignment, which is fantastic. Great news. I tweeted out like Jed Lowry is closer to like the rehab pool party in Vegas than he has a rehab assignment. I thought I nailed it. So throw a like my way one time, won't you? But Alonzo McNeil, those are the two guys that I'm really keyed in on and that I hope that the, the Mets don't even let them get close to free agency. I think they should just lock them up right now, throw tons of money at them and build around those two dudes. Anyone over 30, pack your bags. Get the fuck off the team. Like anyone under, it's ageist as hell. I get it. Todd Frazier is having a great year. I love Todd Frazier. I played with him down in the Jersey Shore Bat League, Wooden Bat League. Um, he called me Uncle Neil. It's a fun fact. I love Todd Frazier. I wanted them, Mets, to get Todd Frazier in 2015 when David Wright had his back problems because, I mean, uh, anyone who was treating his spinal stenosis or whatever, his back problems, is just like, no. Eh he tweaked his toe no that's a serious thing my mom had it um anytime there's a spine injury like you're kind of fucked dude <laughs> there's no real bouncing back from that so like the fact that it took the mets 2015 2016 2017 2018 to fucking realize that and to finally like throw in the towel yikes dude but yeah, so I wanted Todd Frazier back in 2015. It didn't happen. I was still excited when they got him last year. I'm still a fan. I just, I have a feeling he's gone. This trade deadline is coming up. And I honestly think that he's definitely on the table. It stinks because I think that he's done... I don't think he's really been that much of a mentor for Alonzo McNeil, but it's just nice to have him in the clubhouse. I think that he provides a veteran presence and is able to get people up when they're down. I don't know. He's not hurting the team. And that said, I think that he's the most likely trade candidate because they're, I mean, you can see they have infielders playing the outfielder right now, <laughs> like Tom Smith, JD Davis, uh, thinking about moving Rosario out there. Like they got a ton of infielders that can probably fill in if Frazier were to leave, um, which uh, I'll have a Viking funeral for the guy. Like, I don't want to see him go. I really don't. I think he could win a, 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 a ring with us, but can't always get what you want. Uh, Zach Wheeler is probably gone. I mean, like they've tried to trade this guy motherfucker like two, three times. Like, they cannot wait to get rid of this guy. I mean, he had a phenomenal second half of the season last year. Um, but I, I don't know. He just, he he's better off somewhere else. Godspeed. I also think Jason Vargas might be on the table. Jason Vargas. I, I think that, uh, you know, for a team that's lacking a, a lefty, he could come in and do do wonders. Um, and then maybe, I don't even know what you do with Matt's at that point. I mean, obviously I think you have to move Matt's back into the starting rotation, Ugh. but, um, so those are the three guys, top guys that, uh, will most likely get dealt. I don't know what the fuck we can get for him. I'm not well-versed in the rest of the, the majors, like who's out there, who's available. I would have to say that, uh, there are four guys that, um, 
probably won't get moved just because of all kinds of different factors and multiple variables, but like Familia, Wilson Ramos, Cano, and Ligaris. I mean, like, I don't know what team in their right mind is going to take any of those guys, but like, if if we could unload them for like a dishwasher and a bag of balls, it'd be fantastic, phenomenal. The fact that we went with Wilson Ramos over uh, JT Realmoto is just really it just burns a hole in my crotch. I, I just like, I can't fathom it. You know, especially I mean. Yeah, okay, you wanted more offensive production out of the catching position. But the guy, I mean, I've looked I looked at his numbers. The guy has not played doesn't play full seasons. And I did not realize or recognize that he was that bad defensively. I mean, he is awful behind the plate. There are pass balls that I I I'm I'm just speechless. Like you have a big body, just throw it on the ground, dude. Act like that fucking walrus in the Geico commercial in the hockey net. Just like take up space. Don't just casually flip your glove at it. Holy shit. Ligaris, dude. I mean, he's 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 one of the most upsetting falls from grace because this is a guy who who every time I tune in for a Mets game, they got a graphic up about how Juan Ligaris won the gold glove in 2014. Turn the page, dude. Turn the page. I'm sick of seeing it. There's got to be like a statue of limitations, statute of limitations or something like that. Like, I don't need to fucking see that anymore. The guy is a liability at the plate. And defensively, I maybe I haven't been paying close enough attention, but has he done anything defensively that warrants him being out there all the time? He's got to be gone. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Cano, I mean, what can you say about Cano that has not already been said? I mean, if the people that act surprised that he doesn't run out ground balls, <laughs> fucking duh. Like, it's Robinson Cano. He's 36. He lives the casual life. You know, and then the, the one time he does try to run hard, he, like, pulls a hammy. He didn't sign him to run hard. I mean, I, you know, I, it's, you, I mean, you expect it from Keith because Keith is like, he's going to, you know, old school through and through. He's going to talk about running everything out all the time, but it's like, you know, everyone else, I mean, get a clue. Like he's, you know, and it, it just boggles my mind that they went and got Cano and Lowry, both of those motherfuckers. And they gave up Kalenic and Dunn. And I get we get reminded about the clinic and done thing every friggin' day. Oh, look how awesome they are today. Well, look how awesome they are today. Get over it. And then the other part of that trade, I mean, this could go down as one of the worst trades in franchise history. Not maybe not on the level of the Tom Seaver trade, but uh, this has got to set him back a couple of years. Jay Bruce was part of that friggin' trade. Jay motherfucking Bruce, who has just gone on a goddamn tear. Uh, it's, it's why the Mets are cursed, for sure. I don't know what exactly cursed us. I'm trying to pinpoint like where after the 86 series they got cursed, but there's, there's definitely somewhere along those lines the Mets got cursed because when people put on that fucking Mets uniform, they forget how to play baseball. And Jay Bruce was one of them. I was so 
pumped out of my mind for Jay Bruce during that 2016 season when they signed him and brought him in and traded him for him. <laughs> and he shut the bed. And I think if he played up to his potential, just like average baseball, just like what he's used to, I'm not asking for too much. Mets don't lose that wild card game to the Giants. It's a different season if he if he plays anywhere close to his potential in that season. And of course he goes we trade him to the Indians and he plays outside of his face for the Indians. Comes back and does like okay, gets hurt again. Goes to the Mariners, tears it up. Goes to the Phillies, the last team on the planet that I want to see him rip it up and he's just I mean like 333, two doubles, four homers, 11 RBIs, and 27 at-bats is the stat line I just pulled from the Twitter. Robinson Cano, batting 240, 17 doubles, four homers, 18 RBIs, and 242 at-bats. You know, it's got to be the, it's got to be either flushing Queens there's something emanating from that field or that area that is causing people to lose their powers. Or I don't know what it's, 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 it's nuts. I mean, you see it's, it's historically it's happened a lot. Doc Gooden was like a top pitcher for the Mets. One of the best of all time goes to the Yankees, throws a no hitter. Just awful. Um, I am excited that uh, even though we are losing to the Phillies and we lost the past two series or whatever many series against them this year, that we're not going to lay roll over and die. That we we're throwing at them on a, every game. I love that. Just continue to do that. I'd be I'd be very happy about that. <laughs> Um, but getting back to Alonzo McNeil, they're the first pair of teammates in Major League history to make the All-Star team within a year of their debuts, according to Elias Sports. Uh, you know, if that's not enough to get you on board with them long term, I don't know what what you're thinking about. Just invest in those two as much as possible. Get rid of all the old baggage. Focus on your young core of talent, your prospects, and go from there. I mean, McNeil, third most hits in his first 500 at-bats since 1935. Alonzo, 30 home runs before the break as a rookie. He's only behind, I think, some guy, uh, I don't know, from 1935 and Mark McGuire. And yeah, fuck yeah, the balls are juiced. I get it. Hopefully it's not another steroid area because that was, you know, Major League Baseball's darkest, but yet also best most awesomest era i don't think steroids are the issue the balls are are for sure juiced but at the same time if you're getting this level of productivity with them with the balls being juiced what are you like i don't know chop off 15 percent, 20 percent. those are still really good numbers yeah so i mean I'm going to keep watching. I, I, uh, you know, 40 and 50, dude, 40 and 50, you know, the 69 Mets were something like 10, 10 and a half games back, uh, as late as August 13th. I want to say, you know, obviously they had a better record. I think they were 10, 
or nine games above 500, but like that's a steep hill to climb world champions 73. I think they were like 10 or so, maybe 11, 12 games back in August went to the world series. So as long as, uh, you know, we can stay in that range, I'm holding out a little bit of hope. I know some people have canceled KFC from Barstool counseled rightfully so we went through a little uh like a circus the past couple weeks so i get it i don't understand why you want to cancel oh boy um the last time yeah oh so the last two guys we're talking trade deadline. The last two guys that I think you need to think about just dealing. Uh, they're both, I mean, this is why I left them for last because uh, they're a little bit of controversial picks, but Thor and Diaz. Uh, Diaz has been a monumental failure. I understand he's 26 or 27. I understand. I just said anyone under 30 you should invest in and probably build around. But this guy is a wreck mentally, I assume physically. Just everything about him is off, and I don't see him getting back on track. I mean, you have the all-star break. Maybe you can regain some composure. But it's not like you can go down to the dollar store and pick that up. I think he is just shot, and I think it's time to, to pull the plug on him for sure. I don't know what you're going to get back for him, but he needs to go for sure. Absolutely. And then Thor. Thor is like, Thor is an interesting case because he was such a huge fan favorite early on. And I think it's been in the past year or so where people have started to turn on him because it's like, dude, you are human. Like you're not a superhero. You tend to, I tend to think that that nickname went to his head. I think he tries to do too much sometimes, which I don't knock him for that. I, I mean, I try to do that. I think most people who are hard workers and have great work ethic think they can do more than they probably should. They try to push themselves beyond the limits. But the guy gives us five good innings, an outing, maybe six. I mean, yeah, he had that one com complete game. <laughs> Uh, I forget against who, maybe the Giants. Um, but, yeah, I don't know that he – we need guys – I you know, look, it's great to, to watch a guy dominate another lineup and strike out 10-plus guys. But then when you leave us, I mean, he's he always has, like, one bad inning out of a five- or six-inning start. And that one bad inning is usually what does him in that they can't bounce back from, at least in the past. The, you know, this team, this offense is different this year. I don't know. You can put it on the the juiced balls or whatever, but um, I honestly don't – I don't think it's enough. I think unless he changes something and gives us, like, gets into the seventh, deep into the seventh, or at least seven innings per outing, it, it's it's almost pointless to have him on the on the team. 
And it sucks because I, I think a lot of people love him. I, I still love him, but it, the shtick gets a little old. Like, you know, you think you're, I mean, like I said, he thinks he's superhuman. Dude, get an MRI. Whatever the doctors are telling you, just do it. Try to rehab. When someone asks you about your hamstring, don't like challenge a reporter to a sprint or a race. Like, come on, dude. I don't know. I understand that he's trying to have a personality and, you know, and I appreciate that. I hate it when people just give canned responses all the time. At the same time, know your limits and also perform. And, you know, that's the thing with sports and it sucks, but like you can talk if you perform, if you don't perform, your talk gets a little old. And I think we might've reached that point with Thor. Fucking sucks, but I don't know. I just think they can, they need a different approach. You know, I don't think they need a guy that (laughs) strikes everyone out all the time. I think they need a guy that can get us, can chew up innings. And that was part of the appeal for Bartolo later on in his career with the Mets. Just a guy that can chew up innings. Doesn't matter how he does it, he gets it done. All right, well, that's the Mets. Move on to the Giants. We'll end the show with the Giants. Not much news. Shocker, isn't it? OBG. OBG. BFG. What does BFG stand for? Gives a shit. OBJ. Uh, So he's not around anymore, and... Looks like there's drama a little bit in Cleveland. I know I know it's a slow news period in the NFL, but like he's causing waves in Cleveland. And meanwhile, in Giants land, there's not a whole lot of controversy or anything that's rocking the boat. I have gone on the record multiple times. I can't tell you how many times I've recorded this first episode. I've now recorded it. Four or five times. And every time I say, I love OBJ. He's the second coming of Lawrence Taylor in wide receiver form. I love his enthusiasm, his passion, his fire. I don't know that he was necessarily that much of a distraction. I think people that are my age or younger fucking get it. They understand who he is, what what he's about. And they think, just let the man play. Give him the damn ball. The older demo, not so much. I think that they thought he was a cancer distraction and they're better off not having him in the clubhouse. And I'm not going to completely disagree with them. I'm not because you look at someone like Jeremy Shockey, a guy who I also loved very much for his fire and his passion, his enthusiasm and who I wanted to be on the giants forever. 2007 comes along. He gets hurt. Giants win a Super Bowl, and they trade him. They were able to show that they don't need Jeremy Shockey to win a championship. You know, and there's stories about how him and Plax would argue with Eli in the huddle, and it's like, Eli is not, I don't think Eli is at his best or as more comfortable when he has guys calling for the ball. And who knows how long, how much longer we have to put up with Eli. Because, I mean, you know, there's a headline, he's not rushing into retirement. Well, that's great. You know, reminds me of the Daniel Tosh bit 
where he talks about Brett Favre retiring and unretiring and retiring. And it's like, I'm going to butcher this, but Tosh was basically like, why would he retire? If there's someone out there willing to pay him to play football, a million dollars? Yeah, sure. I'll go out and play for a million dollars. Oh, third string for a million dollars? Yeah, sure. I mean, just die on the field making boatloads of cash. I don't think, and I haven't done the comparison. I mean, Eli's, he's got, this has got to be his last year. And I know I keep saying that, but this has got to be his last year. I, I'm trying to think of what Peyton was at, where he was at when he was 38, 39. I think he was, that was the year that he went off and had like, what, like 5,000 yards and 50 some plus touchdowns. I think that was the year. Or maybe that was 2013. I was either 2013 where he's coming off of that neck, neck surgery. It was maybe his first season in Denver. Or it might have been a few years later. If that's the case, then, you know, maybe OBJ was the cause. I mean, it's, a, it's absurd to think that it's one player. I mean, it's a team game. I, I kind of don't want to subscribe to that, that it's one player that, you know, caused Eli to just, like, deconstruct. I don't know. know but i think it's funny that daniel jones he's he has like a horrible madden rating something like in the 60s or something like that like one of the worst madden ratings for a rookie but yet they have like uh i don't know one of the otas some kind of voluntary camp and he comes out and he's i mean there's a lot of coverage of him doing very well and I'll make a bold prediction. I, I was supposed to wait on this. You know, bold predictions for the Giants in 2019. I don't think Eli finishes the season as the starter. I don't think he gets hurt. And I think Daniel Jones, we see some snaps as the starter in 2019. I just, I don't know. I can't see Eli. I don't know. I keep on going back to those last three or four games in the Giants season 2018 when, like, they didn't have OBJ and the offense looked outstanding. Putting up, I think, four or five straight weeks of, like, 25 or more points, 30-plus points. And if you want to hear something that'll make you laugh, here's a headline. Could Des Bryant ultimately land with the Giants? We're still fucking talking about that. Are you out of your fucking mind, dude? What about last season made you think that he would be a good fit on the Giants? He went to the Saints and like immediately got hurt. That's how you know the news is slow when they're bringing that old shit up. No, dude. Pass. Hard pass. Um... RIP to Jared Lorenzen, the hefty lefty, J-Load. Um, as a fat quarterback, you know, I feel like he was my brother in arms. There was a, there was saying, there were a bunch of reports that without Jared Lorenzen, the helmet catch might not have happened. 
I feel like uh, I feel like that's I, don't know. I mean it's it, I I want to honor Jared as much as possible. I think he was a great dude, and it's uh, and you know I understand like his battle with his weight and weight loss. Um, that seems a little over the top. I mean, I saw the footage of him like trying to rip the ball from Eli's hands in practice and how Eli attributed that to being a major factor in him being able to escape the pocket in the Super Bowl and make the make the throw. It's a good anecdote. I don't want to rain on it. So, but I just thought that was interesting. And what I love about this offseason for the Giants is that people shit all over Dave Gettleman for his draft, saying Daniel Jones was picked way too high. All right, cool. Did you look at the rest of the draft? Have you looked at the team that he's put together in terms of the younger players? Here are his defensive linemen. Tomlinson, 25. B.J. Hill, 23. Dexter Lawrence, 22. DeAndre Baker, 22. Sam Beal, 23. Grant Haley, 23. Julian Love, 21. Corey Ballantine, 23. Lorenzo Carter, Carter, 24. B.J. Goodson is like in his fourth year, so he's probably in his mid-20s. You have a very solid roster on the defensive side of the ball. And I think with Betcher and another year under his belt, with the guys that he wants, he's bringing in some more of the guys that he works so well with. That defense is going to be way better than it was. And I'll say this. For 45 minutes of every game, they played really well. It was just one quarter in particular that they sucked. And it was usually the fourth quarter. And people are pissed that they you know, didn't put the tag or on... Landon Collins or didn't make more of an effort. And it's like, dude, you can't pay $10 million a year for a guy that stinks in coverage. Like he's amazing versus the run. He's a very physical player and I loved having him, but that's a lot of money that you're dedicating to one player who was just flat out would get beat in coverage. I saw some pro football focus rankings, which, you know, you either love pro focus PFF or you don't. I, I don't know. I get very lured in by the allure <clears throat> and by the numbers and the rankings. It's something to talk about. And they have the offensive line at ranked as like 18th, <clears throat> which is like around the same that they had, I think, last year. You know, they always, the PFF always has them, like, in the 18 to 20 range, which is, like, I don't know, it feels lazy. I mean, I feel like they've made, uh, you know, it's a, there's a lot of ifs, all right? Mike Remmers, 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 whatever, the guy they signed from Minnesota, he's got back issues, had surgery. He's a little on the older side. He's got to be better than Chad Wheeler, and Wheeler did fairly well. Although they're saying if you were able if you look at just numbers, he's actually worse than Eric Flowers. Kevin Zeitler. John Helipeo Pio Pio. Apparently PFF says that he's like the, the guy to watch. Didn't allow a single pressure in like 116 snaps before he snapped his leg last year. Will Hernandez probably going to the Pro Bowl. 
Nate Solder had a decent year last year. Not great, but not bad. I don't know. I don't. I think 18th is way too low. I'm not saying they're a top 10 line. And if you want a real kick in the dick, take a look at one and two, the Eagles and Cowboys. That sucks. I am praying and hoping for all kinds of non-life-threatening injuries to those two squads. But even got like George Asafo Ajay. I don't know what to believe in the offseason. You know, it's just like there, it, there's so much weird, like, talk. And it's because guys are bored. I, I almost feel like there should be a media ban the, during the offseason most of the time because you have these beat reporters that have to contractually put out some kind of story or article. And so they'll make up some shit about how this person that you didn't think about was now going to be like the next blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, dude, that person's not even going to make the fucking team. But who knows? George Asafo Ajay, seventh rounder of Kentucky. Apparently he received an offer from Alabama before he went to Kentucky and he practiced against Josh Allen at Kentucky. And he's supposedly like showing a lot of promise. I don't know. I mean, you can't really put any emotional investment into any of this shit. You just can't. <laughs> yeah. PFF had Jalapeo as a rising star. All right, cool. Three surprise veteran cuts. This comes from EmpireSportsMedia.com. Cody Latimer, Kyle Laletta, Red Ellison. Yeah, Laletta is probably donezo. Ellison, I mean, I still don't understand that friggin' signing. You're going to sign him for that kind of money. Use him. Holy shit. Cody Latimer, that means, that's, just, that's just tough because, like, he was hurt. But what are you going to do? All right, so... um, that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, like I said, I fucking recorded for an hour and goddamn 10 minutes before this hour and 10 minutes, and I didn't hit record. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll leak that. I, I have a video of it, so maybe I'll just leak some video of that. Um, but, yeah, so here's the deal. Um let me see if I can, uh, we'll end this with voicemails. Uh, I have a voicemail, Google voice account set up. Um, the number is 862-BIT-1986. 862-BIT-1986. Uh, you can call in and um, leave a message and I can uh, I can review it on the show. Um, so we actually do have a voicemail. And uh, it's a good one. I like this one. It's uh, I am Alicia, and then the number 23 in parentheses, which I assume is her age. I am Alicia, 23, live in your street, looking for a sex partner in the neighborhood. Therefore, I have a picture on here. And then there's a, uh, a frowny, it looks like a frowny face. But I think it's actually a colon and then the parentheses and then the link. And the link is uh, 4hookup.xyz, which if you haven't been to 4hookup.xyz, what are you doing? I mean, get with the friggin' times. Join now and search me, Alicia, 4U8, and text me. 
you also got my contact number there if you want to give me a call. I guess if you're attracted to me. So um, thank you, Alicia. Uh, it's weird that you live in my street. Feels like uh, it's a mole person situation, you know, like from the movie Us. Like maybe you're a clone. I don't know. Uh, I do have, I just have one, the one sex partner now, my wife. Uh, so I could maybe help you out. I, I do still have a couple single friends left that I could hook you up with. Um, I'm, I'll take a look at your picture, I'll forward the picture to them and then they'll, they'll be in touch with you. Um, but her number is two, four, eight, three, eight, three, five, four, seven, seven. Okay. So, um, that's it. Maybe you can call me and, um, you can solicit sex from me if you want. The answer is no, uh, but I might be able to hook you up with some friends. So again, the number is 862-BIT-1986. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, username RealCinch, R-E-A-L-C-I-N-C-H. Instagram, same screen name, YouTube, same screen name. And um, this was a horrible debut show. But like I said, four or five years from now, we're going to laugh. We're going to laugh and laugh and laugh. And, uh, yeah, I assume we'll see you next week. I have a big meeting with Barstool Sports tomorrow, tomorrow morning. So uh, we'll probably get into that next week. And then um, hopefully the Mets haven't spontaneously combusted. They're on the, they'll be on their way to 500. And uh, the Giants, uh, you know, the less news, the better. I kind of appreciate how quiet it is and low key. I think we're sneaky flying under the radar. No one's taking us seriously. No one thinks we're a competitor. And I think we're going to surprise a lot of people. So that's the show. We'll see you next week. Adios, muchachos.